Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Oval Roach.
Rogers Nelson. That's right. I'm sure, we got a lot of Prince fans out there. Have to. Who doesn't like Prince? <laughs> <laughs> this is Alba Roach, your host, along with my producer, co-host, call screener, and uh, I think he just got reassigned back the engineering title. Yeah, that's right, baby. Chris Morales in the house. Yes, indeed. Six four six five six four ninety nine zero nine is our number. Six four six five six four ninety nine zero nine is the number if you want to call and speak to us. If you just want to listen to the show, you can go to our show website, which is blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Again, that's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. You can also listen to our show live by just calling in on the call-in line, if that's your only means, by all means. Make it happen. Make it happen. Last week, um, Daytop lost uh, one of its own, Daytop California, I should say, Mark Tintrup. Um, Probably uh, most of us in OCG don't know Mark. Um, there are still a few of us around who do know Mark um, and knew him since uh, Daytop, California opened up. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Mark passed away last Wednesday. Um, and we want to uh, honor him by uh, having a brief moment of silence. Okay, thank you very much. Mark was the uh, first director of the Daytop uh, Adolescent Program when it opened in California in 1988 in our Belmont facility, which is currently our transition house. That was our first facility in California, an adolescent facility. And he was the first director there for 1988 through 1990, I think, for a couple of years. Okay. And then he resumed the role of directorship in the mid-'90s. Uh, for about six years before he left the organization. But he spent about 20 years with uh, with Daytop overall. He's from that 1965 to 1968 Daytop generation class, graduate class. Uh, so he's got a, a he's among the giants. Of, uh, a lot of great ambassadors and, and alumni and staff and mentors have come out of that era. That's right. Um, so he's one of them. And um, uh, may rest in peace. And uh, we absolutely give our most sincere and deepest condolences to his wife, Anna, um, who also worked for us under Daytop for, for, for a time. That's right. I so, remember that. Um, we definitely, our hearts go out to her as she uh, goes through this uh, mourning period for Mark. All right, let's go to our recap. Let's do it. Last week... Not last week, our last show, which two was weeks two, ago. two weeks ago, uh, we finished our Elite Eight of uh, the Unwritten Philosophies. That's right. So I'm just going to name them so people remember what they were. Okay. Number one. Oh, oh, let's start from eight and work our way work, down. Okay, work our way down. All yeah. right. Number eight, which uh, was uh, my favorite, uh, to be aware is to be alive. Number seven was guilt kills. Number six, another one of my favorites, no free lunch. Number five, you can't keep it unless you give it away. And now we go into what we call the core four. Number four, responsible love and concern. Number three, act as if. Number two, trust in your environment. And number one. The big one. The big one. Honesty. That's it. So that's the elite eight of the unwritten philosophies. Doesn't mean the other ones aren't important. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And this was not voted on either. We just said so. Just our opinion. That's it. All right. Anything else to recap? Uh, nope. All right. That's all I want to say. Favorite part of the show coming? <laughs> And with the number four pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Dallas Cowboys are now on the clock. And the Cowboys select running back Ezekiel (laughs) Elliott from Ohio State. There it is. 
There it is. And with the seventh pick in the draft, the Niners are on the clock. I'm sorry, the Winers are on the clock. Go ahead. Uh. And this just in, with a minute left to make the pick, the 49ers are involved in a trade. They are trading back 10 places to number 17 and have also picked up a second and third round pick as a result with the, uh, hmm, who, who's this trade with? We'll say with the Seattle Seahawks, who are dying to pick up somebody at number seven off of their big board. All right, so who's your 17th pick? We're going with an offensive lineman, unheard of, under the radar. Okay. Potential first-round talent had an injury, so people thought he might slide back to two. We're reaching for him. All right. And we're going to move to the second round now. That's it. We're just going to do two rounds real quick. And with the 35th. 34th. 34th overall pick in the second round, the Cowboys are back on the clock. We're taking the defensive end because we need some rushing. (laughs) There you go. we got to rush the passer. There you go. And with our second round pick, we're going to take ourselves a linebacker because, boy, oh, boy, how do we miss Patrick Willis, us 49er fans. Okay. All right. Well, that's uh, that's an unspoken chump chum. We'll see who comes closest to uh, to matching what really happens on, on Thursday. So we won't be back. When we come back for our next show, the draft would have already happened. They'll probably be in off-season activities by then, so we want to get our, our pre-draft picks out of the way. And we'll, Live. We'll see how it comes out. We'll That's see right. who comes the closest on our next show. That's right. All right. Um, we got a special guest today. His name is Neil Krosky. Okay. And before I bring him on, I want to talk a little bit about him. In front of his back. Oh, perfect. So, a couple of firsts are also happening today. One is today's the first day that we, first time that we're live streaming our broadcast into okay. our residential program. Oh, great. Okay. So, anyone that might be listening, because I don't know what their structure is right now. Anyone who cares just, to listen? It's just going in over the speakers. Good. Uh, so this will be good for them to hear. Our guest today, Neil Krosky, was the first director of the Daytop California Adult Program when, it, when we came out to New York to start a program out here in the residential facility. So they'll be hearing from the first director. The pioneer. The pioneer. Um, he had a long career with Daytop, started in New York, just like uh, myself. Um, so why don't we just bring him on and let's talk to him and let him uh, speak for himself. Let's do it. Mr. Krosky, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you speak up for us, sir? I'm here. Okay. You hear me now? I'm here. Yeah, uh, We can hear you now. We can hear you now. Okay. All right. Well, welcome. Well, welcome to Roach on Recovery. Great to be here. So thanks for having I know, me. Oh, you're very you're very welcome. Um, just just to start off with, I know that um, you know uh, Mark Tintrup a little bit. Can you speak to uh, our audience a little bit about your experience with Mark? Um, his passing, uh, you know, what it means to you, et cetera, et cetera. 
sure. I'll do the best I can. Mark and I work quite closely out there. I know that as a professional, as a caring person, he has a big heart, very warm heart, uh, intervening whenever he could, extending himself as a professional. I mean, there's no set hours that, you know, you have to work in an environment like that because you're a youth. On the other hand, I was working with adults, but he and I would, would sit down and strategize the best approach in dealing with issues. He was constantly um, extending himself, as I stated. Uh, there's no template on how to, to do this job. The job that he did, he did a fantastic job with the youth. Very caring. He's going to be yep. greatly missed. Plus, he was an avid golfer. Whenever we got the chance to go out, <laughs> he and I definitely used to go out and relieve some stress doing that. Uh, I just know how he used to hit the ball. He's very competitive. I miss yep. him so much. Bless him. I don't okay. Know if like no, you did. You did. Um, Go ahead, sir, Mr. Uh-huh. Producer. Mr. Sure. Producer has a, a question he wants to, well, to start it's, off you with. You know, I think this is a desire of many who have had a boss or somebody in the supervisory chain for quite some time. As a subordinate, you always like to try and get the dirt. And the only way to do that is to <laughs> access folks who have information from before they became the boss, so to speak. And um, I know that Orville was, uh, or you were Orville's counselor for a couple of months during his uh, treatment stint. <laughs> and I was wondering if you could shed a little light on uh, how difficult it was, or or lack thereof being difficult, to have him as a client. What was he like? Give us the inside scoop. <laughs> Are you there, Orville? This is not TMZ. <laughs> Give us the inside scoop. Well, as I recall, I mean, you know, I am pushing, getting close to 70, so I'm trying to remember. Uh, very, uh, not outspoken too much, but very precise in what they're doing. Very meticulous, but very um, technologically advanced. Uh, probative in his own subtle way, uh, but always getting to the point and always listening to what's not being said and addressing <laughs> Sounds like that not as much, well. Not much has changed. <laughs> Not at all. Commend him for doing a fantastic job. You have no idea. I'm gonna like a Kool Aid job over here. He's oh, a great, great, excellent. great experience with him throughout. We went through uh, our trains together too. So. Okay. Oh, perfect. He, he inspired perfect. me. Yes. Very much. He, so. Well, he's he has inspired many. Um, I'm gonna throw oh, a yeah. second question at you real quick, if you don't mind. Here, uh, word on the OCG slash Daytop Street, if you were, is that there was once in the late 80s a re-intake interview that has gone down in history as world famous. And I believe you, sir, might have been a part of that re-intake interview, perhaps sitting in the hot seat, if you will. And uh, if you could shed a little light on that kind of mysterious story that gets passed around, that would be excellent. What was that re-interview process like for you? Oh, How did that all go down? Be- before you answer that, why what, why why his question is very important, because it actually ties into a show we did not too long ago talking about if at first you don't succeed, uh, and then we just left God. it like that. Um, oh. So go ahead, sir. What 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 was that re- that that uh, that Reinterview that has now gone down in daytop lore as one of the most famous reinterviews of all time. I had no idea I reached that type of pedicle. 
but um, <laughs> I generally have like three or four or five people in a re-interview. For some reason, when I came back to the facility, I think there were 15, 12 to 15 people in my interview. Holy smokes. And, uh, yeah, uh, I have no idea why. I don't know what I brought, the guilt I had when I came back. Or whatever it was, that they knew that I was a, I don't know, they just wanted to make sure that I was committed this time. And I uh, was very, mm-hmm. uh, very intense, very emotional, uh, no nonsense. Uh, my peers, people my peers, an age group. It was a, it was a it was a cross board of different types of people that were working on their recovery. So I had to convince them that I I had enough. Quite intense. Uh, it, was, I don't know if it was infamous. Go ahead. Well, it was infamous, uh, and I think fifteen was the number that has been uh, bandied about over the years. Um, one of the things I heard was that. Uh, in preparation, when word word worked its way upstate that uh, Neil Krosky was coming back in, and you know they started putting the the, the set together and and getting all the the actors that were going to participate, it had something to do with the 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 strength of personality that they were going to be dealing with. Hmm. I didn't know that. So, so they wanted to. They wanted to stop. Stop being so modest. They they wanted to uh, make sure that they, they they had enough counterbalance to impact what they perceived in advance that was going to be coming back towards them. Your thoughts okay, on that? Very open. On that per, on that perception. They were right on because of my level of resistance intellectually and psychologically and manipulatively, uh, they needed to do that. I needed to mm-hmm. uncover, and they needed to hear that and perceive that. I was very good mm-hmm. at dark, ducking and dodging. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just would perceive that uh, that might take a little extra work. But I was mm-hmm. humble. As you know, greatness is a two-sided coin and reverses humility. Mm-hmm. I had to be humble. I couldn't pull my wool over anybody, and I was done. I was tired. Okay. Uh, but very intense and very probative, and, you know, I didn't have to do too much yelling. I just had to be honest. You know, you know the truth when you hear it. The truth and the explanation is not true. <laughs> they know that. Right. So. All right, so you you re-interview, you, you get accepted back into the family. Um, mm-hmm. At some point along the way, in your mind, you decide that you want to uh, – Go into the staff training program. I was kind of coerced. There's a gentleman named Hi. Felix Arroyo. Mr. Felix and I was Arroyo. I the post office at the time. Mm-hmm. And he told me, he said, listen, uh, we'd like to have you around. You know. Uh, so he kind of convinced me to take a shot at it, and it was, it was quite interesting. I learned a lot about myself and just the possibilities of, of you know, helping others help themselves, which I was getting help as well. And believe in the concept. Well, well, let's back up a second. Yeah. Would you agree, since we both kind of experienced Mr. Felix Arroyo, uh, t- t- so I want to know if you had a similar experience. Would you agree that the the him wanting you to hey, I, I see something in you that that you might be able to do this. However. Felix, in his own way, had a way of 
finding out if you had what it took and then weeding out those who didn't have what it took. Would you agree that was what his process was? Well, as I went through it, I actually did believe it. He believed in me. He said, in five mm-hmm. years, you, you'll be doing this. And I didn't see it in myself. And mm-hmm. it happened in less than five. So right. opportunity presented itself. And then, wow, the trust and everything. You know, just leaving New York and coming out here blindly, just believing. And people that believed in me, they saw something in us. Those that came, you were one of them. Mm-hmm. It was a great, a great opportunity uh, and the challenging those fears of, not even the unknown, just knowing what's behind you and what you built on the concept and the, the support of services that avail that avail themselves going through something like this. Mm-hmm. Quite a challenge and uh, rewarding as you see people who make moves and make changes in their lives. You know, it's all worth it. It'll pay us enough. It's how many people enough. were in, still here? How many people were in your training class? Oh wow! Starting uh, out. Yeah, we, I, Quite a few. There's over 10. I mean, 10, 12, maybe 14 of us. I don't. Even, I think I'm trying to really recall. It's been so long. But uh, how many? How not many everybody finished? made it. How many finished? Yeah, not everybody. Maybe about six or seven. Maybe okay. eight. Well, if you, you finish with six, seven, or if you finish with six, seven, or eight, that's that's a high number. My class had um, 20 starting, and we finished with three. Well, Skyler, Wilford, Dak, you know, all this, myself. You know, it was quite that's a true. Boys. Yeah, when I'm thinking back, yeah, you guys had a very strong crew. That's that's yeah, we true. Did. We did. You yeah. had a strong class. What was the strangest thing you were asked to do as a trainee? Oh, man. You're taking me back over. The strangest? Strangest thing. I don't thing. know. I think I had to confront my peers or call my peers out. Not strange, but it was the most challenging, you know. Go ahead, you live with people, you got to call them on attitudes or probe and, you know, really stand firm on, on, you know, helping someone. Sometimes you have to say things that might be uncomfortable and hurtful, but, you know, you got to put it out there and have them respond to that. I mean, doing that is uncomfortability because you, you don't have contracts with people, what mm-hmm. they call contracts. you got to be honest. And uh, learning how to listen to what's not being said, as I spoke about you. Because that's the reason why we say everything. But it ain't taking me back. It's been a long time. I'm, I'm no expert. But yes, well, quite uh, well, the strangest. It's so many of them. Uh, going to Pennsylvania, going to the training programs there, and just being out of state and just being, man, thin on yourself. It's all strange. Really rediscovering mm-hmm. who you are and becoming in, in the field. Quite rewarding. Would would you agree that the the uh, another aspect of the training program was also not only to you know teach you the concept and the theories and all of that and the didactics and all that stuff, but also for for you to uh, learn deep deep about who you were. Exactly, and that's that's what wasn't scary at all, but so self-discovering. Yeah. That most of what I'm feeling is a projection of what's inside me too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, you know the, the, the acronym about FLAP, fear, loneliness, anger, pain, and pleasure, the five basic feelings we have with 140-something ways to describe those feelings, learning right. how to talk about your feelings and not being responsible for what you feel but 
what you do with it and understanding that within yourself, these are feelings that are natural, that we stuffed and hid and lied about and didn't want to acknowledge verbally because of fear of how we looked at it. You know, just be taking some responsibility for who you are and, and asking for help if you need it or just putting it out there, standing for something. It's an ongoing process. I mean, I'm, like I said, people ask me how I'm doing now. I said, I'm working on 70. Because <laughs> I thought I wouldn't be here. I mean, really, at one point. I don't want to go back to that, but, you know, the biorhythms of life and in, in right. that training program, rediscovering who you are, right. ups and downs. And trying to keep that not like an EKG machine, like erratic, just ride the wave nice and smoothly with principles <laughs> and values and morals and mores and the things that are self-sustaining for you and your family and everybody that's you know connected with you. Well, the reason I mentioned the the reason I mentioned that is because you, I mean, again, Felix Arroyo as the 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 the, the lead trainer. Uh, for, for most of us who went through the training program, w- made mm-hmm. sure that that was what your experience was going to be, that it wasn't just about you learning about, you know, the exterior, but he was going to dig deep to make sure that you learned about who you were because his ultimate goal was to make sure that your your motives were correct mm-hmm. for why you wanted mm-hmm. to enter that field. Mm-hmm. And being able to make a difference and understand you have a sense of worth and, you know, uh, taking it back to yourself all the time. Mm-hmm. I was a great orator. And in talking, I'm, I'm reinforcing it in myself. Like, you can't keep it unless you give it away. You know, all the things you said, you know, the unwritten. I mean, it's definitely a way to do something and build foundation that you're creating. It's just like becoming. I'm still becoming to this day. <laughs> all right. When you asked me to speak, I was like, why me? <laughs> well, thank you. Because you have a lot to offer. Uh, I, I think it's uh, cool for the residents, the first time we're live streaming into the facility, that they hear uh, the voice and hear the, the perspective of the, the first director. Wow. That was in that facility. Yeah, very, very wonderful treasures in my mind and the basketball and the challenging and the people and the cadenzia and just oh man nice and I know you're still carrying it on I would love the next time I come that way I'm definitely going to stop by all right without a doubt it's still family it's still family oh, oh once once you are you always will be all right I'm moving to my next question oh okay so uh you were you were selected or asked I don't, I don't know so you can correct the record officially to uh, go to Daytop California or go to California let's say and help Daytop launch an adult program. What was that experience like for you? Well, first of all, I was interviewed by uh, Mr. David Dites, who is um, very astute in the field. They, 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 I don't know, it's about five or six of us that had interviews in. Manhattan in the city. Mm-hmm. We were all upstate mm-hmm. New York, Poughkeepsie, up in the Catskills. And uh, I guess, I don't know, he was impressed by my, me and my personality. He said, that's the type of person we need. And he told us to go out there and try to start the concept, start the program with the support that was out here. So myself and Larry became project managers, Larry Thomas. Oh, wait, we got oh wait, 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 slow down. Wait a second. Was the purpose of the interview that of the five or six people that are being interviewed to to for them to see who they would want to go out to California? Was that the purpose? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Would you do like you want to name do you want to name any names? Who else was who else was part of that interview process? I don't remember. I think Jack. I I don't know. I don't remember. I really do don't this, remember. priest man. I'm gonna send you a, 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 a an ongoing supply of uh, what is it called? Ginkgo. Uh, oh yeah, ginkgo biloba. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Old memory enhancer. <laughs> I was so forgetful, man. It was a great. You know, I was in shock. My you know my son and I got shipped out there. It was a, it was a great experience. I'm still in mm-hmm. shock too. I'm still here. I'm still here. All right, so but I don't David, remember who it was. All right, so David, David Deitch. Out of the five or six, David Deitch, who was the vice president of field operations at the time for for, for Daytop, uh, came out from California and was looking for some talent. You came down to 40th Street among uh, along with 40, four or five other people, and you know you. Knocked the interview out of the park. He said, "You're the one that we want. Your 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 talent, your your way of being. That you know, whatever it is that you're you're bringing forth, that's what we need out there." Yeah. Yeah. And before that's you know scary. it, you're being shipped house and home. Yeah. We got there. They had the bandanas on and the haircuts and the beards. We were standing in front of the place. <laughs> it was great. There was a lot of resistance. A lot of resistance. Going into the community, wanting you know, really with some set principles and how to you know conduct things, you know, very scary for everybody. But the all right, so I'm I'm gonna have to slow you down because what you're saying, see, people don't un- after we're in 2016. Yeah. And and see, right now, and you may not know this, but people can we- can wear facial hair now. No. But I, people right. aren't aware that back in the day, facial hair wasn't allowed. No, so when you say that you know you encounter people with beards and one they, that doesn't compute for them because all they know is that they can wear a beard, a nicely you know nice beard and goatee and mustache and all that, so they they can't make a connection as to why that's important or what that or what that means. So that's why I have to slow well, you my, down and explain. Okay. Well, the whole thing was if you uh, babies don't have facial hair. And right. uh, you earn, that's an earned privilege to do that. And as you grow through recovery and grow through discovering and rediscovering yourself, that's a privilege to earn. As you grow and mature, then those natural things come, unless you have a medical excuse. Right. Like in the service. So, but yeah, those little things like that and the cardboard signs, and this is a lot of symbolic ways to do things <laughs> that I recall. But treatment has mm-hmm. changed quite a bit 2016. <clears throat> and I, and who are my best practices what what works, so I believe that well the one of the things I try and stress is treatment really hasn't changed some of the things we do to affect the the, the changes that we want we might use some different tactics, so the sign the the size of the signs have been reduced in size. They've come down from the super sandwich deli signs we used to use back in New York. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Down, wow, yes. Down to maybe an eight and a half by 14. So those are some some changes, but still has the same, you know, effect and impact and, and, and goal behind it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think... I don't think our clients of today can even imagine having to walk around wearing a a, a sign that's you know from head to toe just a big yeah, know, billboard. four by six billboard. 
you know, all day or, long. Or a fireman's hat, a cardboard fireman's hat for not going to the, the fire drill. Right, right. Not <laughs> responding to the fire make it drill. Yourself. There you go. Cardboard hat with a bell. Wearing <laughs> a tape sign saying bad attitude, front and back. You don't understand it. <laughs> not doing your homework what? and being in the corner in a study room, your own private study room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were uh, that. That's called being very creative with the uh, with with the learning experience. Mm-hmm. So. Ellie's. And those those trips travel took me to Corcoran State Penitentiary, working in there with Downey and all those people. I mean, you know. All right, all right, foundation. don't 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 jump our questions. We're 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 gonna get there. Oh, I'm jumping to the juicy to the juicy part of your career. You started this. <laughs> <laughs> Judas free. I'm sorry. I got anxiety problems still. Well, we're gonna slow you down. We're gonna slow you down. <laughs> All right. So you eventually leave Daytop, California, to go. And, and speaking of David Deitch, David Deitch started the in prison therapeutic community in the California state prisons. One of those prisons that he started the program in was Corcoran State Prison. And if I'm correct, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, once again, he kind of recruited you to go and work in Corcoran and either get that off the ground or or, 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 or work in there to, to help facilitate that. Don't go any further than that. Just let just talk talk about that. Well, it was um... – I was kind of, I, I kind of heard about opportunity to work at Corcoran or Walden House. Walden House was mm-hmm. the therapeutic community. Prior to that, we had all been in San Diego uh, looking at a 500-page RFP about the prison system and what they were trying to do, which was quite interesting. But going into uh, Corcoran, I went in as a frontline counselor. You know, I took a you know step back to really understand what it's like being incarcerated in prison and doing that. Right. It eventually became a coordinator of a cluster of 65 inmates in there. So for two years I did that. Right. And um, just being able to be free every day. Quite an experience. You don't want to go there. But yeah, it was for Walden House. And Charlie definitely had a understanding with the uh, the staff up there. So I was able to help assist them in doing that. Okay. While you were there, you had a pretty famous inmate that you interacted with, which I think our clients would find very uh, interesting. So before you mention his name, I'll just say uh, he's uh, he's probably got one of the what top three action movies. Out in the ever. last, uh, no, not I don't know if ever, but at least in the last five years. Okay. Uh, or the series. Um, you want to say his name, Neil? Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man. Iron Man. There it is. So, yeah. what was it like when you first see this guy walking in, and your experience with him while you were in, while he was in Corcoran, and, and the reasons why he was in Corcoran? I think that's important to get into. He was abusing uh, substances at that time. I think it's over knowledge that um, he was having a hard time staying clean. Right. And he, he had mul- multiple chances. Yeah. So 
Well, he wound up in the penitentiary. Uh, I always thought he was big because the cameras shoot from the bottom up. They get to always be a very short guy, but very smart, uh, interesting. But uh, he, he, he committed himself to make a change, as you can see what's going on now, so I'm happy for him. But that was quite mm-hmm. interesting, uh, being in there and realizing that you can't get out. <laughs> right. I, I was able to get out every day, but everybody else, when someone tells you, I like coming back because when I'm here, I am somebody, something I'll never forget. Right. And so what he's saying is that when he's not in there, he doesn't feel like anybody. It was very clear to me that there's a lot of trouble there. So you come back to jail every time because you feel like somebody. I am somebody. <laughs> so it was interesting. Robert was there, and you know, he made some, like he made some changes. I'm very happy for him. Got a chance to interact with him and challenge those attitudes, as we all have. So mm-hmm. I'll never forget it. I'm great to be a part of that. And it's still going on there, I believe. Mm-hmm. But it's really within the individual. It's not so much me. It's the people inside the individual, the desire or the, the acknowledgement that this is going to do whatever it takes for them to be better. So, and it's all going process, life, one process. I wish I had all the answers. I don't. The 2016, like you said, social media and everything just changes everything. It changed a lot. You know firsthand I need to come in and be more teachable with you. <laughs> um, you're being very modest. Um, I, I guess you don't uh, you don't know from your perspective. You looking in the mirror. So from external perspective, you'll have to you'll have to get an external perspective from someone looking at you from the outside. Okay. So the impression that you gave off and then you can speak to your own personal what what your own personal perspective um you had a unique way in your own way of teaching the concept which kept people engaged and one of the things if I don't, you probably won't remember this but what Felix said and Richie Falzone I'm sure you remember Richie mm-hmm. Falzone yeah. That So all the time that we're sitting going through training and the theory and the concept and, you know, sitting in the Swan Lake living room week after week after week. And in the end, they said, now, you can know this stuff inside and out and be able to speak it. But if you can't keep someone engaged and keep them interested, then it's not going to work for them. So even though you say, which is true, that ultimately, ultimately, it has nothing to do with you, has nothing to do with me, has nothing to do with my producer, co-host Chris. It has to do with the client themselves. They got to make a choice. They got to make a commitment. Correct. But I do believe a role we do play is keeping them engaged, keeping them interested that re- recovery and, and, and learning about yourself and learning about the, the different concepts don't have to be boring. And I would say for yourself, you uh, were a unique character and we're not boring. Wow. <laughs> Animated. Yeah. So stop well, being you. so modest. Uh, I don't know. It's like, well, I find such a mirror. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at myself. Thank you. I mean, I'm humble. I'm humble. He's throwing the philosophy back at us. 
<laughs> I, am I? I just hope I was responding subjectively. <laughs> I thought I was. Mm-hmm. It's so great to hear from you, man. I appreciate you allowing me to come on and discuss some of myself. And I know I'm not done yet, so I'm going to slow down. I'll learn how to slow down. <laughs> Uh, you you still do hold a, a a singular distinction, to my knowledge. Uh, you're the only staff person, I, I think, or let's say on the adult side. I mean, on the adolescent side, it might be a little different, but mm-hmm. uh, you're the only one that's been chased by a client. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> At the house meeting, yes. Talk, talk, about, really wow. talk about that a little bit. Well, he was scaffolding tickets for the 49er game, and he found out Oh, wait, about wait, it. wait, 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 wait. He was scalping tickets in treatment yes. for the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> yeah, you know, and he tried to tell it to his parole agent. And the parole agent called us, and we had a house meeting. And uh, as we challenged him and confronted him, we asked him to give it up, and he didn't do it. And we gave him one last chance, and then because we already knew all the information, and we called him on it, and then he had to leave. You know, he actually had to leave. He thought about the number one unwritten, the very dishonest, and he challenged that and told to leave. When they did that, he jumped at me, <laughs> jumped over the couch, and tried to get me, and I ran outside. <laughs> <laughs> I realized that he's a big guy. But we wound up seeing him later walking down the street, and everything was okay. He said, thank you for putting me out because he needed it. He needed it. Mm-hmm. So, but it was a big challenge. I got chased. I was the only one that got chased like that. I'm a little guy. Yeah, you, you, yeah you, you were the only one that, uh, to my knowledge, that uh, <laughs> had the safe environment threatened or were threatened by the safe environment. <laughs> well, the staff was there. I had, you know, Willie was pretty tall. So, yeah, I remember Willie. Willie smiled. Go camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like I said, the staff, the team, the teamwork, and the extension of the type of staff that you know we had, and it's just a blessing. I couldn't have did it by myself. I mean, even yourself. I mean, just all of us. I mean, it's just very special. Very special. Eight or nine hundred people came through there while I was in that um, So let me ask you this in closing. Yes, sir. Um, who would you say in terms of the directors uh, in Daytop were, was your most influential mentor? Eddie Hill. And then Frank. Okay. What's Frank's last name? Oh, Frank, Frank Lanza? Uh, Lanza. Frank Lanza, Eddie Hill. Frank Lanza. Okay. Just want my feel it for me, you know. Well, basketball. You know, basketball. He, he picked up me on the team all the time. He played with you guys. We're uh, starting to lose you. Could you speak up just a little bit there, Eddie sir? Eddie Hill. Oh, I there you go. Eddie Hill. And Frank Landsum. Okay. Those two I've heard guys. the name Eddie Hill dropped time and time again on this show. Wonderful <laughs> man. Thank God I had a chance to work with him. Mm-hmm. You know, when I got up to Swan Lake, he was the director. You know? And I wind up to have been in charge of the facility a couple of weekends. It was it was quite a challenge, and you know, with the family, over two hundred and two, twenty mm-hmm. twenty ten residents, you know, two hundred and fifty. Two fifty was 
See, I don't remember. 190 men, 60 women. Wow. Okay. No doubt you. You know, you're always a number man, sir. <laughs> We're at That's full capacity. We're at full yeah. capacity. You you remember? If it, tell me that at least you remember this. That if anyone said that they didn't want to be there, that all they had to say is I don't. And before they even got the rest of the sentence out, they were being escorted down to the male dorms, and the van was being pulled out in front, and they were being given their bus ticket because there was someone waiting down in Rockaway in the entry unit to take their bed. bed. Exactly. They were waiting. That's right. That's right. You really, really had to want to be there. You didn't get an opportunity to say, oh, I don't want to be there. That's right. No joke. You got to stick it out, whoever they are, the family there that's listening. Guys, really got a great opportunity. So, especially now, uh, you say 2016, where the availability of publicly funded treatment slots has dwindled. Has it? Yes. So, so not everyone gets a shot. Mm-hmm. So, tell the family members that if you go before the judge and the judge gives you a shot or your PO or parole officer on your argues on your behalf to the judge to give this person a shot, you got to take advantage of it. Exactly because right. there's many people sitting in jail, you know, looking for their shot or waiting for their well, shot. We, we used to say better to be prepared for an opportunity than to have that opportunity and not be prepared. Like you said, taking advantage and giving the opportunity and seeing the forest before the trees and allowing the system and certain people in positions to help you help yourself. The ultimate goal is to help yourself, and it can be done. It can be done, family. Neil Krosky? Yes, sir. It's been a pleasure having you on Roachon Recovery. I am we so enjoy- happy that you allowed me the opportunity. Go ahead. We enjoyed reminiscing. Your memory's better than mine. <laughs> it really is. My my uh, job here, Chris. My my producer, Mr. Morales, always used to we he was he he's what is it when someone's you're an ageist. He's an ageist. He he's a Oh boy. He he, he doesn't like when we have the elders on. That's this is this <laughs> oh, completely okay. and utterly false. That is not true in any way shape or form. <laughs> Seems like a good team. Great team. I like the work you guys are doing. Fantastic. I'm grateful to be a part of it. You allow me to be a part of this. Thank you so much. No problem, sir. Yeah, uh this this will probably I'm in not the Bay Area. Be, I'm coming by. Yes, I, I think people would like to uh, lay eyes on you, and 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 and, and I mean, obviously, this is your your Swan Lake is your first house. This is your second house, and this one you kind of uh, kind of quote unquote built built from scratch, so it's still standing. Wow. Um, okay. And I and I know you've been back numerous times over the years to kind of check in on your house to see how it's doing. So we'll be looking forward to a visit sometime soon. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate the the acknowledgement. Thank you. Thank you in advance. All right, sir. Nice nice talking to you, and thank you for uh, being our guest today. Thank you for having me as well. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All righty. That was uh, Neil Krosky, the uh, first director of the adult facility in East Palo Alto. It's awesome, you know, for um, 
obviously programs like anything in life are constantly evolving and constantly yep. changing. And at this point here in 2016, some of the residents here might consider my era to be of an old school era coming in in 2001, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's really cool to see people who set the groundwork before I came in, the, the ones that I would consider to be, you know, original or old school. Um, you kind of unwind the ball of yarn, so to speak, and kind of gives you a little bit of insight as to why things were the way they were when you were in treatment and how that came to be um, like a cool little magnifying glass into the past, so to speak. So when you have some of your peers or people that you kind of came up with and counselors and things of that nature and to be able to hear them relive and, and tell their story and some of their experience and to be able to share that with you is cool. It, it kind of, it, it reminds you that, you know, things had to happen before your opportunity for you to have that opportunity. He was also being very, either he, very really, modest. either he really didn't recall or he was being very modest. Uh, he, he was very entertaining. Oh, um, sure. As a, uh, um, not only as a director, but just as a, a, a person uh, teaching the concept and spreading it to, to, to others. Okay. And you can tell that I could tell that just through his personality. Yeah. I, I never interacted with him on a professional level. Right. But the couple of times that I've had the pleasure of interacting with him or speaking with him mm-hmm. and uh, on a personal level or social level, it kind of shines through an individual like that. Like I can envision him in, in fine form in some sort of role. You you, you didn't you didn't want to be confronted. Um, it, put, it, put, <laughs> you did not want to be the subject of a general meeting. Right, sure, of course not. <laughs> because uh, the truth was already known. It was just a matter of uh, perfunctory uh, uh, get, getting it out of you. And That's so, right. Um, he was a very, very good skill set um, yeah. in that area. But the other thing was he, I think he arrived about three, three weeks to a month in 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 1991 so his would have been probably sometime in march of 1991 in california that he arrived so we're what 25 years about 25 years uh ago that he arrived out here yeah just about 91 yeah yeah um and i arrived april 6th a saturday um, also 91 in 91 yeah okay about three weeks after him somewhere two or three weeks after uh, I went through the same process. I went down to 40th Street and interviewed with David Deitch, and um, yeah, I guess I still sold him enough. Sure, um, sure. But of course, my interview was not. Um, how should I say this? I was not going. I was not interested in going to California, meaning that I, it, it wasn't an announcement. Hey, who wants to go to California? I put right. my hand up. I was being, my wife and I were being, it was suggested that we go for other reasons, of course. Sure. Um, and, but still had to go through the process of interviewing to see whether or not, you know, was I going to be a good a fit, good fit for what right. was happening and going on at the time. So myself, Neil and Larry, um, all New York transplants, uh, but brought the daytop, you know, concept. Yeah. The out. roots. Yeah. The, yeah. The foundation. So. Um, and even now we're now our common ground. We're still, we still do the same, same old thing. Mm-hmm. So 
All right, we are going to go to our second Prince tribute song. Absolutely. Uh, We're at the top of the hour, so let's uh, put that on, and then we come back. uh, We'll do some recovery support time. I got a couple of X files. I see we got some callers uh, on the line, so however you want to roll it, sir. All right, sounds good to me. Yeah, we are going to drop another little tribute song here, and we do see we have some people on hold. We thank you guys for being patient with us. Hope you've enjoyed the show to this point. Yes, sir. I was just going to say, isn't it just, uh, I want to say the word interesting, but I don't know if that's the correct word in terms of since January, the musical icons that we've, that we've lost, Mm. David Bowie, uh, Glenn Fry, um, Prince, uh, Maurice White from Earth, Wind and Fire. Um, It's just like every month, boom, boom, boom. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're you're losing icons. Yeah, from, from different genres too. That's very you true. I mean? That's very yeah, different eras, different yeah. genres, everything. Yeah. So Yeah. That's all I want to say. Okay, interesting point indeed, interesting observation. Uh so yeah, again, we're going to get to everybody on the other side, so please stick in there. We will talk to you on the other side of the break.
Coming up next is OCG Radio's Recovery Support Time, where our hosts provide support and guidance for your recovery-related questions and issues. Recovery Support Time, where it's our time to help you. Okay, welcome back to Roche. One of these days, we're going to get that timing down. <laughs> I think you're purposely doing it, by the way. Uh, I can't confirm or deny that. All right. Always want to try and get some X-Files out of the way. Um, we have any good ones? Yeah. This one's a funny one. When I read it, uh, I kind of laughed. There's no name. Anonymous. Anonymous. It says, I really don't like it. <laughs> I really don't like anybody in recovery. Is this going to affect my recovery? <laughs> <laughs> Most likely. I'm not sure what they mean by that, but uh, I, I hope. I hope they find somebody they like. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know. Unless you're an absolute, absolute loner that doesn't require anyone, but I don't know such a person. So, but yeah, um, it will it will affect you because you, you do need other people. Um, next question. Again, no name, no hometown. I went to my first meeting. I'm presuming they mean AA or NA. And I have no idea what they are talking about and how long will this last. Well, I would presume that normally at AA and NA, they are talking about first personal stories. And then there may be a portion of the meeting that they are going over a step or two or three. So that's pretty much what they would be talking about. I don't know what else uh, goes on at an AA and NA meeting. Normally they have speakers who come in and tell their story, and uh, people 
you know, in the audience, uh, either give feedback or question or ask questions about their story, or it's a more uh, formal presentation about a step, and they talk about the step or a step that they're working on, and you know how they're moving through the step, and you know, and people then you know interact and talk back and forth about about the step. So <clears throat> it wouldn't be expected that you would know their personal story, but it's for you to listen and identify with and, you know, ask questions about and see if there's anything in their story that can, you know, help you. Usually that's how it goes. Uh, this is from – I don't know if this is a serious question, but I'm going to ask it. It's from Paco, San Rafael, California. When you quit one addiction, you pick up another I'm currently addicted to Skittles. Okay. I eat seven bags a day. Is that bad? Not n- not Sweet. for the not for the dentist. Absolutely not. You'll keep him well paid. Or she. Or she. My sister's a dentist. Watch it. Now. Okay. All right. He or she. I've never personally experienced a female dentist. They've all been males in my life. I only go to uh, female dentists. Okay. Well. Maybe it has to do with the affinity you have for your sister. No, it has nothing to do with it. Actually, she tortured me while she was in dental school. (laughs) That's why she owes me forever. Okay, good. I just like the touch. Uh, They're more gentle when they're, if if they have to pull a tooth, you know, they do it in a way that's more sensitive to... You, your jaw, your psychological, emotional, mental well-being, they take all – it's just something that they take into consideration. I've had a guy pull a tooth. He went in there with the, you know, with the pliers or the vice grip, whatever the tool. He yanked out his toolbox and just was yanking and turning and pulling and finally got it out. Had no concern for my emotional, mental, and physical well-being. After that, I said, I, never, I don't want any more male dentists. I want female dentists only. Well, so I'll see. I had I had, a, I had an, an older lady one time, and she, you know, she was gently patting me on the arm, and said, "It's okay, don't worry, just you know, this might hurt a little bit, you know." So I need that kind of, you know, talking to and walking through a process that may be physically painful. Okay. Well, I'll see your dental story, and I'll raise you one. In fact, uh, recently, just for a teeth cleaning, uh, had the dental hygienist. Oh, must have been 90 pounds tops Korean woman, okay? And it was like I came out of there having had oral surgery. Let me tell you, she's throwing her whole body weight into cleaning my teeth, and she had zero remorse or empathy (laughs) as I sat there and experienced a teeth cleaning like I've never experienced in my life. So they can be just as tough, let me tell you. I'm sure, I'm sure. It hasn't been my experience so far, so... Uh, did we answer Paco's question? No, we got sidetracked on that. <laughs> sidetracked. Seven bags of Skittles. Keeping dentists employed. Uh, let's say you could go a little more general and, and, okay, so for him, he's thinking it's Skittles specifically. But, yeah, people tend to or, or can indeed pick up another addiction, kind of like replacing one for another, but that's not always the case. Uh, hopefully in recovery, whatever you've done to get you into recovery, you've learned some life tools that you can apply yeah, to your behavior across the board. Yeah. 
there's there's not going to be any negative behavior that's going to impact your life other than you know if you you know if you don't take care of your teeth and blah 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 and right. skittles. But you know the thing for him to look at is you know do you have a sugar fixation hmm. that you are feeding or you know dealing with by eating the skittles, you know and and people who love sugar it can manifest itself with whatever ice cream or cake or cookies or you know whatever it may be. And they may not have any idea that it's the sugar. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that, that's behind that. Yeah, that's behind it. So, Or maybe Paco's just a really big Marshawn Lynch fan. Maybe. All right. Uh, let's go to – who's been holding the longest here? Let's go to uh, – it says Matthew the Great from San Francisco. Matthew, welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Good. Why are you so great? Um, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any idea either. The host clearly needs to, after his dental visit, get his eyes checked because it actually says Matthew from the great oh, San no, Francisco. Yeah, 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 yeah. My bad. <laughs> okay. Maybe I had. I think what happened was I had a psychological because you know I'm not a San Francisco That's fan, so probably what it was it impacted the way I read it psychologically. So, all right, my bad. Ooh, no. <laughs> uh, my question for you is: is I am in a, a treatment facility, and um, just recently I was actually uh, I got in trouble for something that I did, and for where I am at in 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 my mind state of wanting to change my life, um, I noticed that this what I did was a pretty much a, a pattern for me where. Um, I do what I want to do when I want to do it, and it causes negative consequences. And it's kind of almost like an impulsive thing where at the time I'm doing it, I do not – it's like my – I don't know. It's like the forefront of my brain turns off, and I don't think about the consequences, and I don't think about what will happen. I don't play the tape through, and I just go and do it. What what are some things while I'm in treatment where I could probably look at to stopping that because it's something that's really baffling me and I don't know why I do it, but it, it's been it's caused me to go to jail numerous times and lose you know people that I love and relationships and things like that. Okay. The first thing you are no longer allowed to do mm-hmm. is say, "I don't know why I do it." Okay. Because when you say that, automatically what you've done is, I'm not responsible. I don't know why I do it. Okay. So you first have to take ownership of it, whatever it is that you do, and repeat that. Well, I think, you know, you're right. I think I know why, because I want to do it. It's. (laughs) See, right there. Do you know how long it takes some people to get to that answer, though? Probably a long time. A long time. They can yeah. give you uh, 11 different answers, and the bottom line is they do it because they want to. Why, why do they want to? I don't know. Does it make you feel good to do those things? In the, in the moment, let me you know, be clear. Does it make you feel good in the moment to do whatever it is that you're doing? Sometimes. In this, in this actual instance, no, I don't think it was. That I think really what it was was just I just I didn't care about the consequences I 
guess. So I didn't think about them. So the, the only one who can impact that, obviously, is you. You have to <laughs> want to care about what the consequences are going to be so that it can impact your decision-making and your behavior. Yeah. If you don't care about the consequences, there's nothing anyone, I, or anyone can tell you that's going to change your behavior. Yeah. And it seems like, it seems like after the fact... I care. That's always the case, especially if you don't like the consequences. Mm-hmm. So the question is, I want to get to the point. I want to get to the point to where, before something happens, I think about that. Then you you first have to find out from from within yourself why is it that I don't care. Okay. Why is it that I don't care? That question has to be answered and answered honestly. Mm-hmm. And once that's answered, whatever the answer may be, you then take it a step deeper. Okay. Whatever the answer is to that question, how come I don't care? You then take it a step deeper and do I, you know, what do I want to do with my life? Do I want to change or do I want to have the same result over and over and over again? Same consequence. Just keep repeating the same thing. Is this what I want? You can verbalize and say, no, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. It's easy to say, you know, verbally say that. But do you feel that? And there's a difference between the two. When a person starts to feel that that's not what they want, then they slowly start to do something different. Okay. You you may not have have it ha- you may not have had severe enough consequences yet to wake you up to shake you. You may not have hit bottom yet. Even though you're in a program, you may not have hit bottom yet. Well, see, and I think that's the scary part because I've been in a lot of very, very low places and a lot of, I've had a lot of detrimental consequences to my life about things. And I still, it's still, it's like I used to, I mean, it's kind of like I'm the kind of guy that hits rock bottom then I get a jackhammer out and start going at the bedrock. (laughs) So, So your bottom ain't your bottom. You're trying to go, you're trying to go further. That's not your bottom then, because you, when you hit bottom, you can't go any further. You, there's no, the only direction you can go is up. You're not trying to drill deeper. So then you haven't hit your bottom. So let me close by saying this. When you hit your bottom, and your bottom can be emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't have to be – it could be any one of those things, okay? So uh, when you hit your bottom, you'll know you're there because you wouldn't – you're not going to try, like you say, get the jackhammer out and drill through the bedrock. You're going to be looking upwards saying, okay, how do I pull myself up from here? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the, then the mindset will change. 
it's not it's it's not rocket science. When people don't hit their when people haven't hit their bottoms, then you know they, it's easy for them not to care. The consequences, you know, they get over them real quick. So you know they they still got they still have a lot of um, what do we used to call it, Mr. Producer? Reservation? No research. Uh, research they, to yeah, do. They still have a lot of research to do. Go do a little bit more experimentation. Huh? <laughs> However you want um, to word it. Yeah, but I just I feel like maybe it's like after everything else. I mean, I'm scared that maybe that bottom might be death, and I don't want that. I don't want to reach that bottom. Well, for some people, the bottom is death, and we try and help them to to, to avoid that. Mm-hmm. We try and have them, no pun intended, arrest their situation before that becomes their reality. Mm-hmm. So these are all words. So ultimately, you have to feel that you want to do something different. And then put that into action. Okay. Okay? Okay. All right, sir. All right. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Okay. You guys have a good night. You too. You as well. All right. Bye-bye. Now, I'm not going to try and put you on the spot. I'm just going to throw a question out there to the universe. Why is this young man going to struggle? Well, I think (laughs) – Many struggles for folks who are in recovery in some form or fashion comes with being indecisive. As long as you're on the fence and you haven't made a decision one way or the other, you're bound to struggle. And he's in his head, mm-hmm. intellectualizing sure. you know, his behavior, yeah. his, his, uh, his you know, feelings, right. and et cetera. So very difficult for people who almost are, like he, who are like he has the answer before he asks the question. Yeah. It's an internal struggle. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's go to DeFonzo from Redwood City. Welcome to the show. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. My question, my question is uh, I'm in treatment, and I always hear that it's not allowed to have, uh, like, e-cigarettes or vapes or vapors. And I'm wondering, is there any... I don't know. Uh, would, would the, any data about are, are they addictive? Are they like another chemical, like caffeine or something? Or I have no idea. Oh. So, what's at the root of your question? Let's start there. Well, I, I was talking to my family about sending me some cigarettes or bringing me some cigarettes. They're kind of far away, and they asked if I could have. She, my sister said, "Yeah, you need to get an e-cigarette." And I don't know much about them, and I just know that they're like electronic or something, and when I asked about it, I was told... I don't mean to interrupt you, but let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Are you trying to stop smoking, or you're just looking for different means of smoking? Probably different means, yeah. I would say different means. Most most, uh, facilities, as has most cities in in California, depending on where you are, have, have, have outlawed or restricted uh, the use of e-cigarettes, so I'm not surprised if the facility doesn't allow them. Hmm. Okay. And thank you. You're welcome. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Go ahead. Interesting. Um, I'm of the mind, and I guess – 
the what the thing you pointed out were maybe like city laws or different restrictions within certain municipalities but and, and county um if if you were going to utilize at any facility an e-cigarette the way you would a normal cigarette only during the time allotted to go smoke and out in that area um then i, I wouldn't see any any big deal although i know a lot of facilities don't like to have uh, things that are expensive, relatively expensive, because they can get broken, lost, stolen. It, that kind of becomes an issue. Um, but I would be more so. I'm glad that you asked him, is this just you're looking for another means to smoke or trying to quit and hoping that this might help you wean off because um, we would be all for supporting somebody who is trying to quit, but mm-hmm. we would have to feel like this is some sincerity behind wanting to quit. But he was forthcoming and saying, oh, maybe just another means with which to do so. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's something we're going to have to, at least here in California, we'll have to source out because, I mean, they're going like each city is just dropping one by one to uh, restrict the use of uh, e-cigarettes and, and the vapor and all that stuff. I don't smoke, so I don't know anything about it. But um, just as an, a bystander, looking at it from an outsider's perspective, um, there hasn't been that much research. Um, everything that I've read to say it's just vapor, water vapor, that's the byproduct of smoking it in terms of, you know, secondhand smoke and all that stuff. So whether that's true or not, I don't know. I haven't, I don't spend my time reading stuff like that cause I don't smoke. So, but I, I may have to start reading it if it's going to impact our, you know, our, our, our own, policies and what have you but stuff sure. like that is driven by not even so much by us but by the county or the city you know right and and, and you know in terms of in, inside buildings and, and you know so on and so forth no, that's very true i i think at least with and i haven't done enough research on it myself because also i don't smoke but a lot of the carcinogenic properties of actual cigarettes come from the idea that something is actually burning Right, so the paper around the cigarette, yeah. and they're actually, if you look really closely at a cigarette, there are little gray rings that come about every half millimeter. That are, it's actually sulfur to keep the cigarette burning evenly. Mm-hmm. And so, when all these things are burned and released back into the atmosphere, these are all highly carcinogenic, and you don't get that with the e-cigarette. But um, beyond that, I haven't done enough research to really say what is the byproduct or what is exactly coming out when that is being smoked? When the only thing we smoked. can say is that we know nicotine just as a standalone by itself. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is not quote unquote harmful. You can get addicted to it. But right. It's not harmful. Um, that's why, you know, people who use the patch, you sure. know, is yeah. a good, good way of uh, eliminating the byproduct of the smoke of the smoking. Right. Um, but you might still get your nicotine fix. All right. Uh, Wendy from do they pronounce it Arcada or Arcada? Arcadia? No, it's spelled A R C A D A. Oh, Arcada. I think that's California. Arcada. Arcada. I can't go to sleep without drinking a glass of wine. Does that make me an alcoholic? Hey. Well, I mean, I think I'll define say... define can't first and foremost. Define can't. Are, are you physically unable, really, to fall asleep without? Having a glass of wine, or is this or, just a strong preference? Yes. <laughs> or won't go to sleep. I refuse to go to sleep unless <laughs> right. I have a glass of wine. All right. Let Let's say it's because uh, we we won't we we know it's not that she 
can't go to sleep, or maybe it is that she can't go to sleep because if you've been doing it for 30 years or 20 years or 10 years, and it becomes a psychological thing, right? you know what I'm saying? This is why I say to qualify the word can't, because if that's true on some level, there's a dependence there. And then by the sheer definition of the term chemical dependency, yeah, yeah, you're dependent upon alcohol. Yes. Good answer. All right, let's go to uh, Danny in Belmont. Danny, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. I guess my question evolves around price being a deterrent to to the use of uh, of a hard drug, particularly meth, and I, I was wondering why is meth so inexpensive nowadays? Uh, classical economics. I'm, I mean, would, would that would that pertain to all drugs? Hmm. Yes. Sometimes, but the the the, the laws mm. of economics apply. I I preferenced it. I qualified it by saying classical economics because there's a difference between classical and what do you guys call it, liberal economics now? Well, modern economics modern. is That's actually it. classical economics is pre Great Depression and modern economics is right. post Great Great Depression, right. and you get but. Supply and demand is essentially what yes. he's referring to, yes. which is the foundation of all economics. However, you ask about all drugs, and that's not necessarily the case because some drugs rely upon natural resources, right. i.e. heroin, marijuana, where right. there's an agricultural process that needs to take place, and there's a finite amount of land on Earth to grow such things. Crystal meth, not so much the case because that is manufactured in a laboratory. Man-made. It's there's no agricultural process that needs to take place in order to create it, so there becomes a difference there as well. Oh. And you know, I, I just kind of wonder because I know that cocaine it seems that is, is stable at, at a particular price. Either it seems to go up actually, and, it, and and if it goes down, it's only for a moment before it, it spikes. You know, and I'm just it's just kind of. I'm just kind of wondering, was there something else involved in there than in economics? Well, yeah. You ever heard of COPEC? Like OPEC? No. You never, have you ever have you heard of OPEC, like the oil? Yes. Okay. Well, there's COPEC. I'm all, I'm just I'm kidding you. There's no such thing. But <laughs> <laughs> but pretend that there was, right? And like how you said, the price of cocaine, the price of heroin, et cetera, on the street, even the price to a certain extent of marijuana, just as my co-host said, that relies on uh, agriculture first and then process second and then making it to the retail side third. Okay, uh, It's like the price of gas, the price of milk, the price of eggs. You know what I'm saying? So that, that's why you haven't seen that great price influx. Or fluctuation, I should say. However, with methamphetamine, someone can go in their bedroom, which we don't advise because it's very dangerous, as we've seen with some of the house fires locally. Explosions, yeah. Uh, and try and make it. Uh, you don't. You don't. You don't need any. Uh, if you have the chemicals, you can do it. So your your costs are nil, really. So it makes it if very you can cheap. Get the chemicals. If you can get the chemicals correct, because they're trying to—they're they're rightfully so trying to make it very difficult. Okay. 
But even even with them trying to restrict the chemicals, they it makes it uh, it's in comparison to other drugs, it is very cheap. Right. And extremely addictive. I guess so. I, I, I wouldn't know, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the, the results with other people, and, and yeah, you're right. It, uh, it yeah, I, you know, it's kind of hard for me to to believe that it's as addictive as it is. But for a person that doesn't use or never, never tried it, you know, maybe you know. That's the reason why I don't understand, but I'm just saying that it's a—it's uh, like every three or four people that I meet have uh, experimented with it or something like you know. It's almost like uh, they're drinking coffee or something. Right. But you know, yeah. So. Well, okay. Well, I right, thank you. Thank you very much. All right. For the information. You're very welcome. Okay. I'm. Uh, yeah. Bye bye. Real satisfied with the answer. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. All right. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Well, you know we have a lot of land here in California, unused land in central. Indeed, the Central northern, Valley, northern, northern California, way up north, a lot of forest. Ah, uh, sure. Indeed. This state is huge. Oh yeah, huge. It I mean, yeah, it essentially mimics the eastern seaboard minus a couple states. Yeah. I mean, there's some military bases buried in places I didn't even I didn't even know. Yep. That's how large it is. That's right. Uh, let's go to Brian. Not well, not the largest state I was just going to say before you bought Brian on the air though. Land-wise that is. Well, while we're waiting for Brian, Care to know? Yeah, one second, Brian. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we, we got we got a fact a factoid here. We got a here. factoid going. Alaska, by land, actually. Oh, I'm talking miles. about the continental United States of America. Larger than California, and you want to know another funny factoid? You do know what the smallest state in California is? I mean, in the United States is, don't you? Let me take a guess. Um, by land, we're talking about land mass, Rhode Island. Indeed, Rhode Island okay. is the smallest state in the U.S. and ah, happens to have paid attention in social studies. <laughs> happens to have a greater population than the largest state, being Alaska. How do you like them apples? Okay, all right, good stuff. How can we help you, Brian? Ah, uh, I was other, being, other um, than that. Other than that yeah. geography lesson we just gave you. If it comes up in a game of uh, I don't know whatever <laughs> whatever is played at the table, you'll have a fact in your back pocket. Right, definitely. You had a question about recovery. Um, having a looking at AA as a as a source of recovery. Um, looking at a looking at having um, as a higher power. Looking at a lot of the looking at having um, a God a God in my life and trying to find the higher power and um, not having that as a fundamental of my recovery and finding. A lot of the steps in AA as a as a foundation, going into the meetings at AA and finding the finding a little bit of a crisis in AA. Um, what do you have any uh, advice for uh, for finding uh, some grasp in AA? Fine tune your question a little bit. I'm not understanding you. All right. Um, somebody uh, that 
that doesn't have God in their life going into the the Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. Um, <clears throat> like finding a grasp on AA, in 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 the in the rooms of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. So, just so I can be clear, you you yourself are not big on higher power and God and things of that nature. But when you participate in AA, they are big on that, and you want to know how you can kind of square that. Right. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure I understood you before I came with my answer. One of the popular answers on the show today has been our old go-to reliable, I don't know. <laughs> I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding, Brian. Um. It doesn't matter. It's it's no different than if you were sitting in church, right? And hear me out now. Uh, the person next to you, let's say you're sitting in a Baptist church or what have you, um, and the person next to you, you're just sitting there. You want to just you, you you're just interested in hearing the preacher preach on whatever the subject matter of the day is, okay? But while you're sitting there minding your business and listening to the preacher preach, the person next to you seems to be getting the Holy Ghost. Okay? And they start, you know, dancing and carrying on and so on and so forth. Well, whether or not that impacts you depends on, you know, how you are. So there's a lot of people in church where that doesn't impact them. It doesn't change. It doesn't impact their focus, their their listening, or whatever. They, you know, they just whatever that person's doing. That's that's up to them. The same thing applies when you're in AA or NA. If spirituality or God or higher power is not something that's high on your agenda or high, you know, or big in your life, okay, but it's you know heavy in those realms, okay. You pull out what you pull out what you want. There's the old saying we have, if it doesn't apply, let it fly. So you just pull out what you want. Even if you went through the twelve steps, okay, and some of the steps, you know, they have God mentioned, you know, or higher power, whichever term they want to use. You can you can substitute whatever you want. Or just leave out what doesn't apply to you. But the gist of the step is what's important. You follow what I'm saying? I follow what you're saying, definitely. So it, it doesn't have to be a barrier that, you know, you're not and you know, you're not you're just not into the uh you know what's a nice way of saying it. You're not into the, the God thing. Um, but it certainly doesn't have to be a barrier. So, for example, the first step of Alcoholics Anonymous is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. See, to me, that's very benign. Okay, but number the, the second step, however, is not benign because it says came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Well, some people can have a problem with that. What do you mean by a power greater than ourselves? Who are you referring to? What are you referring to? So let's say that I had a problem with that. Well, the way that I would kind of tweak that so that it has a meaning to me is simply that I came to believe 
that I had to have a deeper understanding of me so that I can restore my sanity. So I left God out, left out higher power. Just so I, had to have, I had to have a deeper understanding of who I am, myself, so I can restore myself to sanity. So it's workable. You can do it. You still there? Yes, I'm with you. Okay. All right. <laughs> so now I can't. I can't help you if they start chasing you with pitchforks and stuff. <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> I'm just joking. That's okay. All right. Alrighty. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. I have never been to an AA meeting, other than the meetings we hold, you know, on in house, in house sure. on our site, right? So, but I've never been to an outside NA or AA meeting, so I don't know how much in the outside world they, you know, the God thing and the higher power thing comes into play in terms of how they stress it. You know, do they stress it like they're preaching or do they just read it and then you interpret it how it you know, how it how it applies to you. Right. You know what I mean? Or are there people standing on the side, you know, making sure that you're, you know, you're getting this God thing here. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, pounding it in there. Pounding yeah. it in there. So some people will be very resistant to that. And the ultimate goal of recovery should be that the person gets recovery, not necessarily they get religion. Right. Of okay. course. Right. And so sometimes, you know, people kind of get off course, not realizing that they're not mutually exclusive. One can be complementary, um, but you don't go to AA to quote unquote find God. Find God, right. right? You go you go to a, you know you find a religion or church or whatever something like that. I'm not sure how the producer got me on that subject. All right, uh, looks like we're doing okay on time. Let's go to Jeffrey, Redwood City. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Good. Yeah, uh, my question is, uh, if you use drugs like meth, coke, or heroin for over five years, can all the damage be reversible if you left it alone for like 10 to 15 years, period? Well, I'm a firm believer that if you use drugs for an extended period of time, and I'll, and I'll call five years an extended period of time, that there, there's going to be some form of paying the piper. Yes. Now, the what how, how that manifests itself may depend on whether or not you used meth, or was it heroin, or was it coke, or was it alcohol. You know what I'm saying? And to what extent did you use it? And then, then of course, your own genes and 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 hereditary factors come into play. So it, we can generalize. We can always say, well, if you smoke too much marijuana, you're going to have, you know, problems with your memory. I mean, that's been studied and proven, okay? 
but if you smoke it for five years, do, is, is that going to impact you at 30? Is it going to impact you at 40, 50? No one knows because it, there's too many variables. You know what I'm saying? That's true, yeah. So, but there, I, I, just me personally, I always believe there's going to be some form of paying the piper. What it is, how it manifests itself, I don't know, but there usually is. I'm not wishing anything bad on anyone, but I'm just saying. Now, if you use methamphetamines for five years straight, I mean, that does terrible things to the brain. The younger you, the younger you are, the better off you are in terms of, you know, uh, lasting impact. So we used to tell the kids that, okay, you're 15, you've been using meth for two years, so what you have going for you is that your, your, your body's still growing, your brain is still developing, and so you'll be able to, if you don't go back to using you, you know, your body will hopefully exercise that out of you. But if you're 40 and you've been using it for 15 years, I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm going to say, okay, there's, you have caused some damage, okay? How it's going to manifest itself, no one knows, okay? But the reality is you, there's no way you can use a drug like that for that long and not cause some damage. Yes. Is there a difference between uh, like the uh, the uh, severity of uh, between the three drugs like meth, coke, and heroin? Yes, yes. Methamphetamines is purely man-made. Chem, you know, uh, um, help me out, Mr. Producer. The I mean, you know, with man-made chemicals and in, in, in substances. Okay. Whereas, you know, heroin is very bad. Cocaine is very bad. But God strike, don't strike me down for saying this. But at the very least, you know those two emanate from a plant source. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Okay? They originate from a plant source. And yes, they're then processed and microprocessed. And before you know it, you get it on the street. It doesn't look like a leaf. It looks like white powder or whatever color it comes in. Yeah. But, man, if someone put a gun to your head and said, you got a choice between these two, heroin or methamphetamine, I'm saying, okay, one's produced by two guys out of the trunk of their car, and one comes off a a poppy plant in the middle of Afghanistan. I'm going to take the plant and see what happens. But But ultimately, they're all bad for you. Of course. All right. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. So it's it's like it's like uh, the difference between eating a cheeseburger at McDonald's and sucking on sugar cane. They're both completely terrible for you. No, but God knows wait, what's wait, in wait, the wait, 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 wait. No, no, wait a minute. Now there's no need for you to insult the Jamaican people. <laughs> I don't know why the you sugar have to cane. Do, okay. <laughs> No, no. My family and we've grown up having little slices of sugar cane like you guys here have your little popsicles and, oh, and, and like you like, or my like friend. have celery sticks here that you know and <laughs> and the, the the sugar in the sugar cane is is natural and less uh destructive to the body. And so what after we had one little stick we kept asking for another one and another one and another one and another one. So what? Exactly. And as you well know, I've got family in Hawaii, which is actually where my sugarcane reference came from. But all that aside, the the topic of at least from some 
form derived from nature versus does actually have the laboratory. There you go. The guys cooking up in their uh, in the back of their there was their a Chevy. <laughs> there was a funny billboard. I don't. They showed it on the news. I don't know if you saw this. And this was maybe about six months ago, but it was like a a spoof or like a comedy thing. And they were talking about how McDonald's. I think this may have actually been on Saturday Night Live, but how McDonald's were actually environmentalists. And then they show the billboard that says. A million burgers sold, only one cow killed. And it's like, yeah, you know, that that, that sounds about right. <laughs> what are you trying to say? You don't use real beef? Uh, who knows, my friend? Who knows? Your guess is as good as mine. No, I, I can't guess because I haven't eaten McDonald's since I was 13. There you go. See, there it is on the mean streets of New York. Huh? So, uh, learned a long time ago. All right, let's go to Mr. Robert from Palo Alto, welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, welcome to the show. Hello. Yes, my question was, uh, if a person is in a treatment program, is there the belief in him that he would be able to uh, be an asset to the program uh, in a financial matter, uh, maybe through the design of a program? You're going to have to explain that a little deeper. I'm not sure what you're asking. Ask uh, it well, again. Many, Rephrase many it. Of the, many of the programs are uh, uh, funded by either state or federal fundings and um, are applicable to the uh, many restrictions and um, rules that they uh, implement uh, towards the program. Uh, this actually uh, is, makes it them dependent on the grants or the um, fundings, uh, whereas um, a program that would be able to create a design where it would be self-sufficient would be able to operate uh, on, its, on its own and then by its own uh, whatever it feels would be the best treatment for the patient. So Having said that, uh, something as of the... So like What's your the, what's your actual question though? The question is is that is a person that is a patient in one of the uh treatment facilities uh would they be entrusted uh to um start or uh assist in implementing um uh, a viable uh program that would be uh beneficial uh in uh, the financial arena for the program or no. would they be no 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 a a person who is i i would presume a person is in a program to get recovery mm-hmm. get started on getting their life back together get started with getting their life back on the right track so the right. only thing they should focused on their whole primary focus should not be worried they shouldn't be worried about the program how the program is funded, where they get their money from, and all that stuff. They should be worried about themselves. They should be worried about what do I need to do, what do I need to change? What do I need to do to get my life back on the right track and move forward with my life? It's not their their worry because by doing that, somebody would have taken the focus 
off of themselves, the primary reason for them being in that program, and shifted it to something else, which has no uh, reason for them being in the program. Mm-hmm. If well, somebody wants, if somebody wants to do that, what they should do is first, first things first, get their life back in order. And if mm-hmm. it's a passion that they have, they, it, like if they say, you know what, this is something that I would like to either do or I would like to see done, they then can take that up when they've gotten their life back on track. But while they're in the process of doing their, their treatment, no, they shouldn't. No, I, I, I agree with you that um, not through the treatment process itself, but I was uh, – uh, Regarding the uh, after the graduation and then the um, the trust or the um, let's say the uh, believability of a person that would uh, be able to work with someone that had come from a treatment program. I mean, but meaning by that is like let's say and said, "Oh, I Robert, came out of a treatment program, but I have." Robert, I understand what you mean. I, I don't think I, I I don't think someone's going to use the fact that you have come out of a treatment program to to have them say one way or the other that what you might be presenting and a plan that you may have or or, or that you might be bringing forth is going to be impacted or swayed by the fact that you've been in a treatment program. Let me just tell you something. Very very smart people go into drug and alcohol treatment. They might not be. They might not have exercised their smarts by getting involved with drugs and alcohol. But but we've had some very very smart people, at least in our programs and in all programs all over the place. Very smart people. So it wouldn't shock me that there would be some people that can look at some a program and say, you know what, there might be a better way that I that in, for me that if I was doing this, that I can do this and and maybe not be strangle held by some of the restrictions that are put on programs that, that accept, you know, public funding. So I hope that answers that part of your question. Yes, I I basically it, it definitely was after the uh treatment process. I was wondering if if a person would be looked at suspiciously or, you know, uh cautiously because no, most you know, programs don't, like most programs you know, like don't let's do. say you're in a Employer, okay, you know, like let's say you were an employer and a guy would say, oh, I just came with treatment. It's like, oh, I'll exit that application just because he, he, you know, he has had problems in his past. Well, that would be like, and how much time we got, Mr. Producer? I know we're running, we're real close uh, on nine time. Nine minutes, I believe. You, no, well, well, no, I'm talking to the producer, sir, not you. <laughs> oh, okay. He, he's got the clock. Um, okay. The, um, that would be like someone coming into treatment, and before they came into treatment, they were a chef, okay? Mm-hmm. And they're in the treatment program, and, they, and, they, and we don't let them cook because they're in treatment. No, we take advantage of their skills and let them cook, okay? And then when they go back out, we hope that they continue with that skill, okay? So we're not going to look at them any differently just because that, you know, they, they, they've been in treatment or been through a treatment program. And I don't think any program will do that. Great. I don't think any okay. program does that. Okay. Great. I just uh, I appreciate that you you answered uh, my question. Thank All you right, for sir. your time. All, All right. right. You're All welcome. Right. Good night. Bye bye.
Okay, I think that'll go to the top of the list of the most interesting mm-hmm. question we've been asked. Fascinating. <laughs> For lack of a sound clip drop. Uh, you've got about a minute, sir. Say what's on your mind. Don't cut me off. Um, the draft, it's coming. I thought it was good having Neil on. Was very good uh, having Neil on. Uh, reminiscing uh, with him, and um, I'll be interested in, in at some point finding out from the clients in our residential program how the live streaming went. Yeah. Uh, for the first time, we were able to live stream our our broadcast. What do they call that back in the day? Simulcasting. The simulcast. Our our program uh, live into the uh, facility, and we'll see how that went, and then um, that's it. When we come back, uh, let's see, today is the 26th, so we'll be back on the, is that the 10th? I believe so. The 7th is a Saturday, 8, 9, yeah, indeed. Okay. So we'll be back on the 10th of May. Great. Great show. Um, we would like to thank everybody who did call into. I'm sorry. See, I knew it. Every single time. No, I just want to say that we're going to close with our final tribute to Prince. We are. Okay. We are indeed. Uh, again, we appreciate all the ongoing support that we continue to get from the people who call in just to listen or listen, listening to the show via other methods. Also, those who called in with questions for Recovery Sports Time, uh, we appreciate it. Again, we're on our two-week cycle, so we'll be back two weeks from now with plenty to discuss. If any of you have some spare time on your hands or next Tuesday still feel like listening to a show, please feel free to dip into the archives and maybe pull up one that you haven't heard yet. With that said, we wish everybody a safe couple of weekends and a good couple of weeks. We will talk to you all in May.